Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, we're going to start in the book of Exodus. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be in starting in chapter 32. Wasn't that a great word that uh, Pastor Dave gave last week? Uh, I got I got to got to watch that uh, afterwards online. I, I love I love being able to do that. So, uh, well, I got way quieter. Was I just too loud? So, can you hear me, Miss Dorothy? <laughs> Louder. <laughs> okay. So, um, man, I love the the idea of uh, moving from transactional relationship with God to transformational. From transactional Christianity to being transformed. And so today we're going to look at somebody who is, who is transformed by God. And if you don't remember, a couple weeks ago I started a series on the mountains and valleys uh, in Scripture. And we're looking at that as the mountain seasons in our life and the valley seasons in our life. The high points and the really hard times, the low points uh, in our lives. And so, you know, the high points could be the mountains. Those are the encounters with God, the experiences, the breakthroughs, the rejoicing, the yeah, the cheering. And the valleys can be where you're going through a hard time, where you're going through a season where you're where you just feel like you're just plowing or, or just trying to make it through and struggling, uh, where, where you're facing opposition, where there's battles going on. And so we looked at a couple of the valleys and and talked about Joseph. And Psalm 23, uh, just a couple weeks ago, and we, we made this declaration, is that, that Jesus is Lord of the valley or the mountain times in my life. Whether I'm on the high or the low, that Jesus is Lord of that season of my life, that time in my life, that He is, he is Lord. And I get to invite Him to make Him my Lord. He's still Lord, Right? I mean, Jesus is already Lord. When I make him the Lord of my life, it's not like he said he didn't change. I change. <laughs> and so he's still the same, but it is, he wants permission to enter our lives and to mess with us and to heal us and to free us and to challenge us and trans, to transform us. Uh, and it's not transactional. It's not... We do this good thing for God, and then He does the good thing for us. In other words, it's not based upon our performance and not based upon uh, how good we are. If we're worthy, it's based upon the worthiness of Jesus, and we just need to learn to receive and sit with God and allow Him to change us and to be in His presence. And that's what happens to a guy named Moses, famous guy in the Bible, Moses. And so we're going we're gonna to look at an encounter that Moses has. It's probably one of the most famous encounters uh, in the Bible is Moses on the, mount, on the mountain with God, and he receives the Ten Commandments. I mean, they've even made movies about it, right? They're old now, but uh, <laughs> there's a really old movie. Uh, for the young people who remember that one when it came out, I was not alive. Um, but Moses, you know, goes up on the mountain, and really what happens on the mountain is he, he has an encounter with God. He meets God. 
I mean, that's the mountain times of our life. When we have encounters with God, when we have times where without a doubt we know, man, I'm in the presence of God. God is doing something in my life. He's speaking to me clearly. I'm seeing, I'm seeing tremendous power in my life. I'm sensing the presence of God. I'm experiencing transformation in my life. And that's what happened to Moses. He goes up on the mountain. Moses is the only one. Joshua got to go up partway up the mountain. Uh, so jo- only Joshua and Moses are going up the mountain. And then down... Below the mountain is the people of God. And something crazy happens when Moses is up on the mountain, right? Anybody remember that? They build an idol. They, they get tired of waiting. Anybody tired of waiting? <laughs> so they get tired of waiting. So when I, rather than waiting on God, they say, we don't know what happened to that guy Moses. He's been gone a long time. Things slipping off here. So we need some God to worship. You know, when you get tired of waiting and you look away from God, you find something else to worship. You find something else to give your affection to. You find something else to give your time to. And so that's what the Israelites did. Because they weren't looking to God. They weren't willing to wait on Him and what He was bringing down from the mountain that Moses was going to bring to them, which was going to be good. And uh, they said, let's build an idol. And so they make a golden calf. They, they, Aaron, who's, you know, Moses' brother, right? He's, he's like, he says, bring me all your jewelry. And it says he fashioned, he formed this idol in the form of a calf. And you're like, why did he do that? Well, that's one of the things they worshipped in Egypt. So they went back to what they knew before when they were in bondage and slavery rather than moving forward to the promise that God was calling them to in the promised land, walking with God and in relationship with Him, which was the invitation of the Ten Commandments. Um, And so they go back. And so then it says they have a big party. They start worshipping. And Aaron even says, hey, Here's the God who brought you out of Egypt. Here's the one who parted the Red Sea. And you saw all the miracles that have happened. Here it is. It's this golden statue of a baby cow. (laughs) Sounds ridiculous. But honestly, when you're in a situation, when you turn your affection away from God and you look for something else to worship, to give your affection and energy and time to, it looks ridiculous to other people as well. That's what what you're giving your life to? That's ridiculous. Some of us know that. Some of the things we gave our lives to in the past, we look back and go, that's that's as bad as a golden calf. That's that's nothing. That's worthless. Why would I I give myself to that? But the people of God, their hearts were, were wandering. And so Moses is up on the mountain. He's talking with God, and God says, you need to get off the mountain. The people have lost their minds, basically. They're running free. Man, this thing is really slipping off today. Um, And so Moses, of course, comes down the mountain, and he sees all the people like they're dancing around this golden calf, and they're they're celebrating and worshiping it. And it says Moses gets so angry that he, he throws the actual first copies of the Ten Commandments on the ground and breaks them. I don't know if that was the right choice or not, but um, 
And he throws him down, and it says, you know, he confronts his brother Aaron and says, what are you doing? And Aaron says, I don't know what happened. It's these people. <laughs> people, you know, when you're caught sometimes but in, in sin, what do you do? You want to point, you want to point the finger at someone else. Oh, yeah, well, you know, my parents were really rough on me. And, you know, they, they taught me these things, and, you know, I was raised this way. And we, we try to point the finger at somebody else like, you know, these people you brought here. And even Aaron says this. It's one of the funniest lines in the Bible, I think. He's like, just the, the, we had all this jewelry, and it just, it just went into the fire, and out came the calf. <laughs> we don't know what happened. I mean, it says before that Aaron, like, actually, like, he carved it out, man. He was fashioning it. He was forming it. He's like, I don't know what happened. It just, it just, it just happened. And so he didn't take responsibility, so Moses confronts him. Uh, but there's something amazing that happens uh, that this is the part I want to focus on today. is not the sin of the people, but the, but the change in Moses after his many encounters with God. Because that's what's meant to happen in the mountain times is we're meant to be transformed. We're meant to be changed. We're not meant to be the same as we were one year ago. So well, let's pick it up in verse 11. This is Moses has come down. He's confronted Aaron. Um, and it says this in verse 11. Holy Spirit, I invite you to open the word as we read it. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And he said, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them. It will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So basically God says, we're starting over again. We're going to do Noah's Ark all over. Everybody's going to die. You know, this is we're not we're, we're not doing this. And so Moses, Moses does something amazing here. He begins to intercede for the people of God. He begins to stand in the place before God for someone else. That's what it means to intercede. Intercession is a form of prayer. But it's also a position that we take in standing before God. And one of the things that we learn on the mountaintops, when you have an encounter with God, He wants to teach you to stand in the gap and be a person of intercession for other people. What does Moses do? He reminds God. God doesn't need reminding. Just as a side note. Uh, he want, God wants to draw out of us. He, but he likes to be reminded of what he's already said. He likes us to repeat back truth to him. And so Moses says. Hey remember. Remember your servants. Remember what you said God. Basically he's saying. Remember the covenant you made with us. He goes back to God and says, you made this promise, and so I'm going to stand on the promises and say, spare your people. And it says God relents. And I, so I want you to go here to the end, though, 
Moses does something even more crazy before God because there's this ongoing dialogue. We're not going to get into all that happens here. Um, you can read it on your own. And, you know, you, you have to chuckle at some of the stuff, but some of the stuff is horrifically sad as well. Uh, let's go to verse 30. And so Moses, again, is going to go before God. He says, the next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. This is incredible because what Moses is saying here is send me to hell. If you're not going to save these people, send me to hell. Take my name out of the book of life. I mean, this is this is serious intercession. This is like Jesus type intercession. And Moses here is really being a, he's being a picture. He's being a type of Jesus who stands for other people and says, send me to hell instead. Kill me instead. If you're not going to save them, don't save me. And I want you to think about Moses. I need to go back to the start of his life for us to understand the transformation. At the start of Moses' life, of course, he was miraculously rescued. He was put in the, in the river and he was saved by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he was raised in the palace of the king of Egypt in that time, the Pharaoh. And it says when he grew up, he noticed that all his, his people were enslaved. And so he saw an Egyptian beating one of his own people, the people of God, the Israelites. And it says that he was overwhelmed with anger and he killed that Egyptian. But later on, he heard other people talking about that situation. And what did he do? It says he ran for his life. So you have to see early on in Moses' life, all he's concerned about is saving his own skin. In other words, it's all about him. I'm in trouble now. I'm just going to run. And it says that Moses left for 40 years. He started a life. He got married. He had a wife. He had kids. He has, he has like a whole separate life going on. And then he has the encounter with the burning bush. And even at the burning bush, he has an encounter with God. And God says, go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you and deliver the people. And he keeps arguing back and forth with God saying, God, I'm not enough. God, I'm not a good speaker. I don't know, I don't know anything. God, the last time I was there, you know, people, I killed someone and they were going to kill me. And, you know, all these things. Basically, he makes excuses. But look at the transformation of Moses now. Moses now is standing before God and saying, you don't even have to save me. I love these people so much, but just take me out instead. That's the heart of Jesus right there, is when you stand for someone so much and pray for someone that you're willing to sacrifice your own personal self so that they might be saved. That's true intercession right there. Hebrews 7.25, I need to put that one on the screen, Bill. This, this is so amazing because this is a picture of what Jesus does. It says, Jesus, therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That Jesus is always standing before God the Father for others. 
because of his sacrifice. But that was the ultimate call of Jesus was to lay down his life for others who didn't deserve it, who were full of sin, who were not seeking God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we showed some promise. <laughs> now that you're getting your life together a little bit, you, you're catching on. You're, you, you haven't fallen asleep in Pastor John's sermon in six weeks in a row. And, you know, you're making some progress. Now that you're making some progress, Jesus died for you. No, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God calls us to step into his heart and to his ministry. The ministry of Jesus is always interceding for others before God. It says he ever lives to make intercession. In the King James, he ever liveth to make intercession. So Jesus is always standing on behalf of others before God. And that's exactly what Moses is. Moses catches the heart of the Son of God as he in this moment before God the Father. Because it was no longer just about him. That's how you know you've stepped into a new place of maturity in your walk with God. When it becomes not just about you. You know, so much of church today, and some of it's our fault up front here, is we say, come get something from God, come get something from God, come get something from God. And so now everybody thinks that you come to church and you gather and God's all focused on you. And he is, but he wants you all focused on everyone else because he's got you. When you know God's got you, you can lay down your life for someone else. You can pray down your life. For someone else you can stand and say I'm going to give myself I'm going to stand and say God have mercy do something in their life I'm going to pray longer I'm going to pray with more passion I'm going to seek God more intentionally with more effort and intentionality because I have a heart for other people and I believe that some of what's happening here with Moses is that God is, God is drawing out the true heart of Moses in this moment. That Moses is no longer a runner. No, Moses is no longer just about himself. Moses is now willing to sacrifice his, his eternal future for other people. That's an incredible love right there. Now, God doesn't wipe Moses' name out of the book. And he's not going to wipe our name out of the book. Thank you, Lord. Amen. But Moses was willing to say, I love these people so much. Don't send them away unless you're going to take me too." So that verse, uh, chapter 33, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go to the land I promise I, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. I'll send an angel before you and drive out all the people. Go to the land of flowing with milk and honey, but I won't go with you. I'm not going. 
we got to pick up what Moses says in verse 12. So skip to verse 12 because there's like a little commercial in there. It's basically, it says, here's what Moses did all the time and he met with God. I mean, it's just like, it's just a little blurb like, Moses used to meet with God all the time in the tent. So boom, back to the story, verse 12. So Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you, you have said, I know you by name and you've found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. And continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked. Because I am pleased with you and know you by name. See, Moses is still interceding for the people of God because God, God keeps, I think he's testing Moses, really. I think he says, I'm not going with you. He wants to test Moses. What's in Moses' heart? Is it good enough to just have the promise and not have God? Do you just want the blessing? Do you just want God to bless you? Do you just want God to heal you? Do you just want God to do this for your kids? I, I don't care if God is with me. Do you just want the blessings and benefits of Jesus? Or do you want Jesus? Do you, is it like, do I have to have Jesus in my life? Or do I just want what he did for me? How can you not have him? Right. Amen. How can you not have him? But it's possible to not have your life focused on the presence of God and just receive from him. When you become a person who's always saying, God, give me. When it's always about what God's going to give you, you are missing the fact that he is giving you himself. If Jesus is not enough for you, then no blessing will ever be enough for you. No future will ever be enough with you. No answered prayer will never be enough for you. It will never be enough if Jesus is not enough with him. If he never answers another prayer in your life, he's enough. If you never see what you've been believing for and the promise of God manifest in your life, Jesus is enough. If he's not enough, then we're just like Moses saying, that's fine. We'll take the promised land. I don't care if you go with us or not. Jesus has to be enough. And that's what Moses says. I'm not leaving without you, God. The promised land is not the promised land if the presence of the king is not there. If the presence of the promise giver is not there. He says, I'm not going to go. Don't send us out here. Don't let us go without you. And God says, I am going to go with you. I really think it was God's heart all along to go with him. I believe he just wanted to draw out Moses' uh, heart for God. Because on the mountain, we find a passion for the presence and the glory of God. Because Moses goes even further and says, hey, God, it's not enough that you're just going with you. Now, I want to see your face. I want to know you better. I, I want to get to know you, who you really are. I mean, can you, Moses has already, he's already met God in amazing ways. He's already had amazing encounters with God. I want to, I want to, I want to give you some, a thought though. I'm going to submit this to you. So you weigh this out and if it's wrong, you can say, you're wrong. Not right now. Just tell me later. Okay. <laughs> just in case it's all of you. It'd be kind of deflating. Um, <laughs> I was reading about the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. I've been reading through the Genesis. And so Jacob, it says, uh, 
he, you know, he has an encounter with God and God gives him a promise. And there's a verse near after the story of Joseph, it says, and now God appeared to Jacob again after, you know, 30 years. In other words, I had the realization that Jacob wasn't necessarily walking with God every day. Because those in the Old Testament weren't having the presence of God dwell in their lives. That even though Moses knew God, he, it, it was not necessarily he had to go meet with God in a certain place, in a tent. It says that in 33, 7 through 11 there. It says that Moses would go to the tent, then he would meet with God. And when he left, he had to put a veil over his face because his face was so bright, he was shining from being in God's presence. In other words, he was transformed in the presence of God. And so, you know, in the Old Testament... People had to go to a certain place or have a certain time where they where they met God. What a blessing now that Jesus says, my presence is open to you all the time. You don't have to be in church to be in the presence of God. You know, you can have the mountaintop experience in your bedroom. You don't, you don't have to go to a certain place. You don't have to have the, the amazing man of God or the woman of God lay hands on you to have an encounter with, with Jesus because Jesus has said, now everyone can come into my presence because of my blood, because of my sacrifice. You're all free to come. Come on. Come on in. Experience my goodness. I'm here. You can have all of me, all of me that you want. Now, does God give us blessings? Does he answer prayers? Absolutely. That's clear throughout Scripture. But if we get, we just have to make sure that it's not about getting the things from God. That I don't, that's how we become transactional is where it's just, God, I do this, and then I get this from you. I mean, what would happen in, in, a, in any relationship when it's just about what you get from them? Relationship with my wife, if it's just about what I can get from her. Guys, sometimes we get focused on that, right? It's just like, when's the action happening, right? <laughs> Am I just focused on what I can get from myself? Or am I in love with her? Hey, I'm, I'm using the illustration that you're not going to forget, right? <laughs> That's just transactional. Is my marriage just a transaction to feel good every once in a while? Is my relationship with my kids just so that they do good things for me and I feel good about myself because my kids look good and I, everybody thinks I'm a good dad? Or is it a relationship where I love you? God wants a relationship with us, not just a, not just a transaction like, here's $20, here's your change, 10 back, you know? I mean, it's not very personal to have a transaction, right? You go to HEB, they've even got like a nice wall now. <laughs> At least you can see through it. <laughs> I'm waiting for the day when there's just going to be a wall. I mean, the introverts are not too upset about it, like me. Like, okay, I really don't want to talk to you anyway. But <laughs> what is it? You know, a touchless, contactless service now? That way we can have zero contact with humanity? Like, introverts dream, right? I can order online. I can just, you drop the pizza at my door. I don't even have to roll down the window until you've left it there. And then I pull the pizza in. Zero 
contact with human beings. Right? I mean, that's not what God wants with us. He doesn't want a, like a trans, just a transaction where it's impersonal. He wants a relationship where there's transformation. When you have a relationship with someone, you change. I'm not the husband I, I was when Ashley married me on our first week of marriage. Thank goodness. That guy was, I mean, he was a nice guy. <laughs> I mean, but it's on the mountain when we have that time with God where we're transformed and our desires change. Because Moses, Moses gets up there with God and he says, Show me your glory. Basically, I want to see your face, God. I want to get a little bit closer to you. And God says, you know, no one can see my face and live. In other words, right now, as it is, <laughs> I can't show you all my glory. It's going to kill you. But he says, I'm going to put you. This is end of 33 and the first part of 34. Um. My glory is going to pass by and I'll put you behind the rock and then I'll take my hand off. When I remove my hand, you'll see my back or you'll see like the the trail of my glory, basically. It's like the, the flowing end of his robe or something. I mean, God doesn't really have a robe. He's a spirit. But that would be the picture in, you know, like the the glitter <laughs> off the edge of his shiny, bright linen cloth. Uh, and then you'll see my back. And so Moses is transformed to where his passion is for the presence of God. It's not just about what what he can do for God. It's not that he becomes the deliverer of, of, of the people of God. It's that he says, I want to know you, God. Show me, show me your ways. You know, it says, uh, it's in Psalms. Uh, 103, I think, or 105. I wasn't planning to share this, so I'm going to try to find it here. It says that God made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Let's see if I can find that. What did I say? 105. 103. Thank you. Somebody's using their phone, right? <laughs> What verse? Thank you. Isn't hey, technology's working right now, baby. Uh, Psalm one hundred three, verse seven. It says he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. In other words, the people only got to experience the miracles, but Moses got to experience God's heart. It's all right. Just the Bible app making noise. <laughs> so he made known his ways to Moses because that's exactly what Moses says. God, show me your ways. He's basically said, show me, show me who you are on the inside. I don't want to just see the miracles. I don't want to just have you do something good for me. It says the people only saw the miracles. They only got to see the deeds. They only got the benefits. They didn't get the heart of God. And that's what that's what God calls us to. On the mountain, we have a passion and a hunger that's awakened where we go, man, God, I, I want to know your heart. 
when, when you taste and see the, that the Lord is good, when you get close to God, you want more of Him. When you get hungry for God and you experience Him and get to know Him better and better, then you actually do want more of Him. That's why when you stop spending time with God, it's easy to stop spending more time with God. Because hunger works opposite in the kingdom of God. When you eat, you become more hungry. So when you're with God and you're reading the word, or you're praying, or you're worshiping, or you're just listening to the voice of God, trying to hear what he's saying to you in your spirit, uh, you'll become more hungry to do that. You'll, you'll want more. And so you have to do it more to get more hungry. And so Moses gets more hungry, and then he's so hungry, he just says, God, I want it all. I want it all. And those are the people that God can use to see transformation come to others. Because they're selfless, and they have a passion for God himself. Not just his power. They don't just want to see miracles. They, aren't ex- they don't just say, oh God, I want to pray for someone and see something amazing happen. They say, I want you, Lord. I, wa- I just want you. So I want us to close, as we close today, with, uh, with coming to the table here. Uh, this is the Lord's table where we take the, a representation of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus in, in the juice. And as we do it today, I kind of have this thought just now. Is yes, let's receive it for ourselves. If you need to receive something from God today, just say, God, I need it. But as you're taking this this morning, let's think about somebody else. Let's think about somebody else who's lost and whose life is in trouble and they, they need Jesus. And kind of as a, as a representation, as we're taking this communion, we're just going to you know, just kind of mention their name to, to the Lord. You can do that loud or quietly. Just in your heart, just communicate with him however you want to. Say, God, God touch him with your, with your life. God, touch them with the power of your blood. Uh, Lord, I, I, I ask you to move in their, in their, in their lives. Open their eyes. Set, set them free. Uh, and that way we're, we're putting you know, action to the words of God. It's not just about me. It's not about just what I can get from you. He's going to give us a lot. It's, uh, he's, God's a giver. So it's really just our perspective in saying, I get to participate in who God is. So ushers, come on up. Let's let's go ahead and pass out uh, pass out the bread and the, and the cup uh, to everyone. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're welcome to participate here and receive in this. But just to, even as they're passing out right now, let's just see if God puts somebody on your heart. Thank you, Lord.
we just we just thank you right now for the broken body of Jesus and we receive it not only for ourselves lord but for those you placed on our heart god that we would stand right now for them that they would be healed that they would be saved god that they would be delivered that they would be filled with all the fullness of who you are, Jesus. We thank you, God, that we are in covenant with you. You have purchased us with the blood and the body of Jesus, and that we are now proclaiming the truth that Jesus is alive to the entire world. And so right now, Lord, we just receive all that you have for us, but we also say, God, we stand. We intercede uh, for those that you've placed on our li- our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. I want you to take your cup, and I was just thinking, some of you might just have family members that you want to just plead the blood of Jesus over today. I've started doing this in my communion time. I just name my family members. I name my kids, and I pray for the blood of Jesus over them. I pray for my brother who's an officer. I just plead the blood of Jesus over him. I plead the blood of Jesus over people that I don't even really like. And I like them better when I get done with communion after praying the blood of Jesus over them. So, uh, but I just sense that maybe some of you have a family member that you, you are really pressing in for. Let's, let's include them by name. Maybe you just very quietly say their name. Jesus, we thank you that your blood is so powerful, not only for us, but all of humanity. <laughs> this table is not just for us. This table is for our family. And so, God, as we just stare at our little juice, we name our family members and we say, oh, God, we plead the blood of Jesus over them. God, I thank you for the power of your blood working in Austin. You fill in your name. Lord, I thank you for your protection. I thank you for the power of your blood to redeem, to forgive, to restore, to make way. Lord, I thank you for revelation coming to our family members that we're contending for, that you would encounter them with your life, that you would would bring them to this table where they remember you. They remember your body and your blood. And so today, God, we remember we come to this table and we remember your sacrifice for us and for all humanity and we proclaim your death, the power of your death and resurrection. And I thank you, Lord, that there is no one too far gone for this table. There is no one too, too far that your blood can't reach them, that they can't be restored or renewed or forgiven or set free. Lord, we thank you for that promise. And so for those in our families that our hearts bleed for, that we would be tempted to think maybe they're too far. They've just made too many wrong choices. Today we come to the table and we remember the power of your blood and the power of your sacrifice for them. And for what you've done in us, Lord, may it be multiplied into our family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
like to invite our leaders up, leaders who are praying today, come on up. And if, if you need to receive prayer for anything, uh, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you don't know what this is all about, that we're talking about, or why we're talking about the Bible and Jesus and who He is, come talk to some of these ones who are up here. Uh, if you need healing in your body, um, we invite you to come make this uh, a time of prayer. Uh, we want, I have two reminders before you come uh, and dismiss you all. Is Number one, our children. If you have children, we're going to pick them up at the bottom of the steps right here, right out the first foyer door. Uh, they, we moved them to a different room, to the old upstairs room today. Uh, and there's no service on uh, this Wednesday night, so we won't have a gathering this Wednesday. Um, if you need to talk to one of these leaders, this is not the time to talk. This is prayer time. So if you need to talk to them, wait till they're done with their prayer time, and then you can talk to them. Uh, but this is an altar. This is an altar for prayer. So we want to make sure that this is, this is prayer time up here. If you need them, they'll be sure to be willing to talk to you afterwards. Right, Ronnie? Ronnie will, at least. So um, thank you, Lord. We bless you, and we thank you for being with us, and we honor you for all that you've done in our lives and are doing and changing us and transforming us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, come on up. The rest of you all, you can fellowship and be dismissed.